Hello, this is the Sleep Mums A to Z's, where we take a deep dive into parenthood from baby to TTC with a range of experts who want to help you through the OMG of looking after small people. I'm Kat Cubie, broadcaster and now award-winning podcaster. Did we mention we won an award? <laughs> and this is Sarah Carpenter, baby and child expert. How's your acceptance speech going? Yeah. Sarah? You know, I mean, typical me. Hi, hi, bye, bye. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> That'll be really good. That'll be like, that will be award-winning. Together, we are the Sleep Mums. Today, we are talking about emotions. So it's E for emotions. We often take quite a light-hearted approach to parenting in this podcast because we believe laughter is important, but also because often if you don't laugh, you might just cry. Then the baby will cry and before you know it, everyone's crying and you'll need to dig out those 1001 muslins that you absolutely didn't need to buy. So we joke, but it feels important to say that sometimes having a baby can be the punchline to a very hard long and not particularly funny stand up or in fact lie down routine. From there it also might not be lightness and giggles either and that's the thing about parenting despite what culture might try and tell you there is no one way to feel, no right emotions to have or not to have. So today we're talking about the whole rainbow variety of parenting emotions with Sarah Wheatley. She's a psychotherapist who works with parents and families. She's passionate about infant mental health and developed her own course to help first-time parents called Parent Kind. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hello. Thank you very much for having me here. Definitely. So you're clearly driven to help parents and, like us, really want to empower them by giving the confidence and skills they can actually use. But how did you become so passionate about it? Well, I suppose I'd always been really interested in helping people and I did psychology at university and everything. But then when I had my son, Nathan, that was when it all shifted and um, I had postnatal depression and anxiety after having him and And I think it just got me really wondering about why this happens and what can be done to support parents to to maybe stop it happening or stop it happening so badly. Um, So, yeah, I just got really interested at that point. I think for many parents, having a newborn might not be the euphoric life affirming event you thought it would be like you're mentioning. Mm -hmm. It's bloody Mm -hmm. and messy and it can feel totally isolating even though you now have someone with you 24 7 like Mm -hmm. lonely but never actually alone but also I know lots of parents well actually I say I know lots of parents there are some parents who also feel brilliant and are on top of the world with one wee snifter of their baby's head but is there is there a right way to feel like what what is normal when you're a new mum that's a terrible is that a terrible question no it's not but I think it's a really good question because I think it's huge and I think as you've just described it can range so far and it can range in a fraction of a second as well like you can be having the worst day ever and then sort of like your baby just sort of looks at you in a certain way and suddenly everything melts and it's like okay it's all going to be fine so I think um it's really it's really important to talk about the whole range though because I think we just expect a certain part of the range of emotions we expect joy we expect the sort of 
absolute sort of rush of love and all the rest of it. But we don't really talk about the confusion, the overwhelm, the disappointment, fear, the boredom. You mentioned the isolation. And we don't talk about sort of resentment or or the anxiety that can come with being a new mum as well. So I think I think you're absolutely right. It's sort of it's not that we want to sort of necessarily say it's all about that, but it's about a balance of all of these things and um and, and the fact that new mums will experience all of these things actually. And sometimes like the absence of any emotions. Like I think I, I felt a bit numb at times after my son was born and that felt off almost as bad as feeling either happiness or rage or depression because it felt so empty yeah and I think that's a really that's a really good thing to mention actually because I think that sometimes it can be so much that we just sort of disconnect we just sort of dissociate just sort of step out of the experience because actually we just need to that's our way of sort of keeping ourselves going because actually it can be so intense that sort of staying in it all the time would just be be too much it would just be too much and so those moms that sort of find themselves sort of scrolling on their phones or whatever sometimes we need to do that and I think that um, there can be a real sort of sense of like, oh, my goodness, me, I'm missing something. Sometimes we actually have to just Check out. step out. Yeah, it's sort of sort of a self-protection thing, actually, even though it can feel yeah. really tough. Do you think, like, yeah. we sort of fetishise motherhood, don't we? And so is, is that mm-hmm. kind of the reason that we are like, oh, no, you can't feel any of these negative things because it's this, you know, without sounding like too crunchy that's this beautiful and life-affirming experience like I yeah I think oh goodness it's such a it's such a strange one isn't it and I think there's also um I think because people are also tending to have kids a bit later as well so I think again it's sort of seen as this sort of goal and also it might be something that sort of feels a bit harder to reach for some people as well especially if there's been fertility issues and things like that um but I think yeah, we're all sort of much more aware of what other people are doing because of social media and stuff like that. So, so yeah, you see sort of Beyonce with her twins looking absolutely incredible, sort of surrounded by flowers and all the rest of it. And I mean, if that's not sort of fetishization of motherhood, I don't know what is because it's amazing and incredible and it's not really the whole story at all. Yeah, I think it's such a complex one, you know, I've it looks incredible and I can imagine feels pretty empowering for them at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's true of any kind of like celebrity imagery. Yeah, we need to celebrate the good moments. Absolutely. I think it's really important. And actually, I've got a friend who's a photographer and we talk quite a lot about why having photographs of of our kids and having photographs of us with our kids is really important because sometimes it's really, really important to capture these moments so that we can remind ourselves of them. But I think there's also, um, as I say, sort of if that is all we are, trying to capture is these sort of magic moments and actually we're not respecting ourselves and valuing ourselves in in the time when we're just sitting there with a cold cup of tea feeling really isolated because that is that is an important part of being a mum actually it's a it's it is part of it and worrying about our kids and feeling completely sort of overwhelmed that's actually a really necessary part of being a mum like you are literally you're you're baby needs to sort of overturn your world as it were you need to be sort of um, your brain to sort of almost be rewired to accommodate your child in that 
And that's a really massive thing. It's, it is like being a teenager. It really is like being a teenager and, and having your whole identity sort of shaken up by your hormones, by the changes in your circumstances. So, yeah, I think I think we sort of, we, we don't recognise how important it is that sort of mums are really, and not just mums, actually dads, but that, that we're really shaken up. I read a wee while ago about, um, I'm going to pronounce it wrong because I read it, so apologies, like matrescence, like yeah. that that version of adolescence that you're saying, you know, that you, you your, your body changes, your hormones change, your friends change, your life changes, like all these humongous things that happen. Mm-hmm. And like, honestly, adolescence was a scoosh in comparison <laughs> to motherhood because yeah. I don't think you expect it. And also people are maybe a bit more forgiving in adolescence or or you don't have that kind of, you don't join the dots in quite the same way. And you're probably, a l- well, I was going to say you're less worried about what other people think but absolutely you're not as a teenager you do worry about that but I don't know it's it's just a very different experience well also I mean hopefully if you're lucky you've got your parents around and you've got sort of safe places mm-hmm. when you're a teenager that you can sort of retreat to whereas actually as a new mum you don't have that you don't have that sort of privacy of being able to go to your room and listen to music until everything feels a bit better or whatever like actually you're just in it you're stuck in it and there's no there's sort of no safe place almost and I think I think you can think about um a lot of what we experience as new mums in terms of sort of feeling safe and if you think about it sort of our relationships Mm -hmm. they help us feel safe sort of our routines they help us feel safe sort of exercise sort of helps us feel safe all these things that sort of help ground us and suddenly they're all as you say they're up in the air because you've just had a baby your body's doing different things your relationships are all changing your hormones are all over the shop sort of actually all these things that sort of help you feel safe suddenly go and you're really vulnerable you're really vulnerable and you're sort of doing things that you never expected to do and it's it's really really unsettling and really hard and and I think some people are very lucky and they have a lot of security around them and that helps them sort of navigate it without being too rattled and their babies are relatively I hate to use the word easy but there are some babies that are just a lot easier to understand than others and and so they can get their points across and communicate sort of more easily and yeah, and, and some people have all of that and it can feel much smoother, but some people know it's 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 a much rockier journey than that. And as you say, you know, you can't go off to your room, you've still got to get up and show up for someone else and make them feel safe, which when yeah. you're not feeling can be yeah. really hard. Huge. So... I obviously meet lots of um, new parents and particularly mums who are going through a really tough time. But when should people be thinking about getting help with how they feel and what sort of help would you recommend? I generally sort of a really, really rough rule of thumb, I would say, is when it's interfering with your um, ability to function in your life. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say if your anxiety is stopping you from leaving the house and doing something that actually you know you would enjoy or if you're if you're feeling so low that actually you're crying every day and you're worrying about the impact on your baby Um, I mean of course it's normal to cry but if it feels as though it's sort of really interfering with your sort of your ability to be with your baby that's that's slightly different um 
or if you're noticing that you're um, getting really angry and that is um, sort of sort of interfering with your relationships with other people in a way that's sort of detrimental to you basically if you if you're finding that your mood is really starting to interfere with your life and is harming your relationships with other people that's when I'd say mm, that's maybe sort of switched into something else and and maybe you need a bit more support um and so yeah I it's such a tricky one because Again, the default is to say, speak to a health professional, speak to your GP, speak to your health to speak to somebody that you, you trust. Hopefully you've got a health professional you trust. I also know that that's not the case for everyone. And so that is a really, that's a really difficult thing if you, especially sort of, and you'll work with people in rural areas who maybe the amount of support available sort of locally is very restricted, um, now that can be a really tough one. And um, and so there are various places online, obviously, that can be really helpful. Um, there's, there's Pandas UK, which is sort of a big overarching organisation. And there's also now the Shout text line, which can be helpful. And obviously, Samaritans and places like that. I would say, if you are feeling extreme at any point, just always go to A&E. A&E has got psychological services available, they're brilliant, actually, and that's what they're trained to do. So I think people forget that actually A&E isn't just there for a broken arm. It can be there if you're experiencing acute kind of anxiety or depression or something like that. So go to A&E. Um, that's probably quite an important thing to, you know, we we, we, talk, we are beginning to talk more about mental health in that way that, you know, you, you go and seek help if you've got a broken arm. So it's it's actually good to remind yourself that, you, that, that like A&E is there for that as well. You know, it's yeah. for... for for the health of our minds as well as our body. Absolutely, definitely. It's there for sort of emergency treatment. And if you're yeah. having an emergency, just go there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there are lots of directories of online support. And in Scotland, we're lucky enough to have um, the Inspiring Scotland Perinatal Mental Health Directory. Yeah, there are lots of amazing apps and stuff out there as well. Um, obviously, I developed ParentKind because I want to support new parents to understand more about um, the range of emotions that, that parents can experience and have a bit more insight into that. Um, but there's Baby Buddy app, which is really useful. There's the Nurture app. That's really useful, too. Um, sorry, not Nurture, Nourish app. So, yeah, there are lots of there are lots of things out there. I wonder if sometimes like that there's such a range of support that that can feel overwhelming in itself. Yeah, it absolutely can. And I think, um, again, when you're feeling really vulnerable, I think we can put so much pressure on mums to find the support themselves. And actually, I saw a brilliant campaign, I can't remember who it was by on Instagram recently, sort of, oh, it was Healthy You, um, a, a lovely lady called Jan, who's a clinical psychologist in, in the Midlands. And she was talking about how actually it's about other people just checking on mums, just sort of, and that, again, it's so patchy. Sometimes we're lucky enough to have it. I was really lucky that when I had um, my first, I, I lived next to a church and they just found out about new mums and they literally just brought meals. And it was amazing because actually I couldn't really speak to anybody and there's definitely no way I could do small talk at that stage. They just left the meals on my doorstep every night and they did that yeah, for that's three amazing. weeks. It was amazing. It was incredible. And I think it made me feel so loved 
And it really, really helped actually sort of knowing that other people were just sort of, they sort of got it. They sort of just thought, right, you don't need to sort of have a load of chat. You just need some decent food. So I do think that um, actually the finding somebody to talk to thing is really important, but hopefully somebody can find you as well. But I think um, peer support groups, I think that is where they're really good because I think there's something about speaking to other people who know what it's like. And I'm really lucky to work with an organisation called Juno who are in Edinburgh and, and the Lothians and they... They're all volunteers. They've all been through it. They all know what it's like. And that, I think, is incredible yeah. um, because it's speaking to somebody that you sort of know gets it. Um, it just changes. It, it's a totally different ball game. It just really changes how you feel because it's not that you're talking to an expert and it's not that you're feeling judged. You just know that that person gets how awful it might feel. Yeah, totally. It's kind of like what we want to do with both the sleep mums and sleep club really yeah I don't think I know many mums who haven't been affected by their own mental health or anxieties at some point of their parenting journey I know there's probably statistics out there but I, I literally don't think I know one sometimes obviously those feelings are so extreme as you say you need to go and seek help or help is sought for you mm-hmm. but what about the middle ground like personally I felt for a very long time that I wasn't bad enough. But looking back, I do sort of wish I'd got help sooner or, or explored some of the things you're talking about, but I really didn't even go anywhere near it because I felt like that that can't be me. Mm-hmm. And so what what if you're caught in that middle ground of not feeling like it's bad enough to seek help? What are the kind of things you can do? And as you say, you know, I don't want to put that onus on mums or on parents, but mm-hmm. are there things that you can do yourself that will help you to feel more able to cope? Um, I sort of think that we often forget that um, we are animals. And I think that actually the first thing we always have to start with is our basic needs. And um, I can't remember if he was a psychologist or psychotherapist called Maslow. Maslow, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the hierarchy, hierarchy of needs. needs, exactly. And I think sleep, food, companionship, um, moving our bodies, these are all really important basic needs that we have. And um, and so, and I think that um, people get surprised that as a psychotherapist, I ask people about how much sleep they're getting or how they're doing with their food. And um, because it's sort of like, but that's not a therapy thing. It's like, it's actually crucial. Like I can't do my job. Like I can't do my job if somebody's not getting enough sleep because actually what's the point? Because I know that fine, well, they're not getting their needs met. So there's nothing I can do that's going to help them if they're not getting their needs met. If they're not eating enough food or getting good enough food um, regularly enough, I mean, not that we can sort of always get perfect food all the time or whatever, but if they're not getting enough of that, again, that is going to have an impact. So it's something that I will sort of check out with people. Um, another thing is medication. And I and I tend to, um, it's a funny one, I'm not a doctor, I don't know enough about medication, but, and I know that how you feel about medication also has an impact on how well it works. But I think of, of sort of our well-being in terms of layers. And if we, 
sometimes need just a bit of a boost to those layers. And sometimes medication can just give us a little bit more breathing space if we don't have enough good layers. So sometimes medication can have its place, I think. Um, Personally, I did I did find that. I mean, I've not really spoken about it, but um, it, it just helped me get out of a certain place that I was in. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I think it can it can just sort of we're trying to think about increasing all the good layers and decreasing the bad layers, as it were. And so, yeah, if you can think of um, sort of medication, food, sleep, exercise, companionship, these are all good layers. And so you're trying to increase them and you might not be able to get them all, but the more you can get, the better generally things are going to be for you. Um, and, And hopefully that can sort of help mitigate some of the sort of bad layers, which might be sort of feelings of confusion or feeling a bit isolated or or whatever so um yeah but you can also feel like like I I I feel incredibly lucky and I was I am supported and I you know I I was receiving a lot of those things and I still wasn't in a great place Mm -hmm. and I think and obviously that's where hormones and things come in you know even if you are feeling safe sometimes you can know all the right things Mm -hmm. And you can still not be in the right place? Well, I think we forget about the fact that we, um, nothing can prepare you for having a baby. This is a whole new person who actually is doing things that you wouldn't tolerate from anybody else. I mean, you would not. <laughs> Maybe my husband. <laughs> you wouldn't let him wake you up eight times a night, would you? Like, you really wouldn't. You'd, you'd have punched him by the third time, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, I think we're, we're letting this person do We're deliberately accommodating this person who isn't reasonable, who isn't necessarily kind, who really doesn't care about our feelings, who is basically just sort of come out into the world and is like, oh my God, what is going on? And and so we have to sort of put aside all our needs for that. And that is not something that anything can prepare you for. I mean, I don't know about you, but I like a bit of routine. I've always liked a bit of routine. It's just the way I'm built. So having this person come in and go, routine what is that like I don't care about routines that's not my bag that was horrific for me actually I found that Mm -hmm. so difficult um and I really wanted a sense of control again and and I really wanted a sense of competence and it takes a while for these things to to grow because I had no idea who Nathan was I had no idea what he liked I know I had no idea about um, how to how to carry him, how to hold him, how to put up a buggy. Like I had no idea about all these things. You have to learn so much, yeah. and you, we sort of don't give ourselves much like cushioning to to be able to do that. I guess because it's you sort of have that massive expectation. Oh, I'm a parent now. I should know what to do. Yeah. And actually, we don't have a fucking clue. No, no. And and I remember it was really helpful, actually. Sort of somebody said to me, sort of before they had a baby, and she's somebody that I, I thought was a really great mom. Like her kids were in her twen- in 20s by this stage before I had Nathan. And, uh, and she was sort of like, I remember having my baby and I loved him. And sort of like we were lying in the hospital together. And sort of the next morning, the sort of the midwife came and she was like, has your baby, has your baby done a wee yet? Just like, what do you mean? Has my baby done a wee yet? And she was like, well, has your baby done a wee yet? And she was like, well, how would I know if my baby's done a wee yet? And she was like, have you changed the nappy yet? She was like, no, nobody told me to change the nappy. 
And I just was so relieved by that because I thought, okay, there's this woman who I can see her kids. They're in their 20s. They're pretty well adjusted. They're all right. And she just sort of was like basking in this rosy glow and sort of exhaustion of just having had a baby. And she didn't think to change the nappy. And I was like, oh, brilliant. Okay, okay. So this really competent mum, she had no clue either. And it was really helpful. It was really helpful just sort of thinking, actually, we're not told this stuff. We're expected to know it and we're not told it. And unless we've learned it by watching other people or people giving us clues or whatever, we don't know it. We're not, we're, we're, we have the maternal instinct, which is to protect our babies. It does not tell us what to do. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to protect them. We learn that stuff. And even if you have watched other people or there are people there to help, sometimes help a bit too much, like mothers mm, and mothers-in-laws, yep. even if you have that, nobody knows your baby because they're a brand new person and they're an individual. Yeah. And I think that process, as you were talking about, of getting to know Nathan, getting to know that individual is such an important part of it because you can read all the books and you can have as much knowledge or support but that you can't hurry that relationship either because it just has to grow mm -hmm. over that period of time and you you know you you get through it together and that's one that's a really bond can be a really bonding part of the experience of motherhood or fatherhood or parenthood I mm -hmm. guess. yeah and and Sarah you probably know this more than I do but um and I wish I could find the, the stats on it again. But I remember hearing years and years ago that a baby's response time is about sort of three or four times slower than an adult's response times. So when your baby's trying to respond to you, actually, if you don't slow it all down, and we move so fast, especially nowadays, and if you don't slow it all down, you can miss what your baby's saying really easily. I had no idea. I had no idea how, how slow it was, but it's amazing. There are loads of YouTube videos about sort of babies imitating human sort of like adults doing stuff, but you just watch how slowly it happens. It takes them a long time. And imagine you've just been born. You've, you're trying to figure out how to move these limbs. I mean, it's absolutely incredible what babies are doing. So it's no wonder it takes them quite a long time to figure out how how to connect that sort of brain signal with their fingers or with their feet or sort of with their tongues or whatever they're doing. It's it's actually amazing that they can do as much as they do when they're first born. Um, so I think slowing it down is really important. One of Sarah's favourite things to say is stop, listen, look, because we do, mm -hmm. we, you know, of course we're um, inbuilt to respond to our babies quickly but we also need that learning time as well to actually listen to what they're trying to communicate mm -hmm. hear them rather mm -hmm. than just responding immediately yes there's a natural thing to do there but also you know you you want to develop that that language that you have with them and you can only do that by really hearing them yeah definitely. and it's amazing when you do encourage parents to just stop and look it's amazing how quickly they become in tune with their babies mm -hmm. and suddenly grow in confidence because they have got a bit more understanding of what that baby is looking for. Yeah. And I think actually you said, well, you use the word parents. And I think that's really important because actually we, again, there's so much emphasis on mums doing that, but actually dads can do it equally as well if they're given enough time. And actually quite often that's a time thing. It's not a, it's not an innate thing. It's not a sort of biological thing. It's just a time thing. And um, 
I've totally forgotten what I was going to say just then. I think we need to talk about that more because it, it is time spent rather than a nat- naturally innate thing, which actually I think would make be quite a big relief for a lot of mums or and dads too, because actually, you know, it isn't something that just happens immediately. You do have to work on it and you do have to give it time as well as having the time, you know, to, to listen to baby. It It can take it takes a really long time to get to know your kid. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I, I've remembered what I was going to say now is actually I, I do this thing called newborn observations where sort of I go through a series of sort of different activities with, with the newborn, with with the parents, hopefully not just the mum. And uh, we check out different things and see how the baby communicates, basically. And I think one of the things that can be really great about that is that actually especially at that stage, because actually um, quite often dads have had a bit of time off and all the rest of it. They know their babies really well as well at that stage or as well as the mum. And there was one um, little girl that we were, um, I was, I was working with the parents and she never cried. And, and that's obviously quite unusual in a baby that they don't mm. cry. And it's also in some ways a bit of a lack because actually crying is really useful because it lets the parents know that they need to pay attention to something. That's their communication tool. So you know. it's, it's one of the, yeah, it's one of their tools. And anyway, and, and this little girl, she also at that stage, because all babies develop at different stages, but at that stage, she didn't have very strong neck tone. So she couldn't really turn her heads either way so she couldn't she couldn't do that thing that babies do when they've had enough of turning their heads away and and so I said to the parents so what what does she do when she's had enough how does she show you that she's had enough or she needs a time out or whatever because she's a person like everybody else sometimes she'll have had enough and the mum was like oh I don't know I don't think she ever I don't think she ever does and the dad said ah actually she rolls her eyes up and so he had noticed that what she did was she would look up and that would be, and he didn't realise that he was automatically responding to that. But that was her way of saying, I've had enough, everybody. Can you get out of my face now? I just want a bit of quiet. Time. I do that too. I roll my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was brilliant, though, because I think it was such a lovely moment because not only was it sort of, it just showed how, how in tune he was, but I think it was great for the mum to see that actually she was not, the only person that knew their baby yeah. actually the dad had been paying as much attention and actually he knew something different about their yeah. child and it was brilliant it was absolutely brilliant and it really stuck with me as such a lesson of like yeah totally. it's 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 parents have both got that capacity so obviously we are insanely passionate about sleep it's you know our big thing um so how much do you think sleep or lack of impacts on mental health uh well obviously it absolutely does um and and I think I mean you probably encounter this all the time I get really surprised by people that don't take sleep into account and also the long-term impacts I think a lot of people can um sort of think about it at the beginning but when they get to sort of six months down the line and they're not getting more than sort of five hours at a time and they sort of forget that that's a cumulative impact as well that by that stage they're actually they shouldn't be driving if they're having that little sleep by that stage I mean they really shouldn't be in charge of a car their re- response times will be so slow and and people 
forget and people sort of laugh about like are they are they sleeping yet or whatever and and actually it really um upsets me that um people don't check in with parents sleeping sort of later on down the line and just assume that parents have got it taped or parents feel that they can't talk about how little sleep they're getting because they're sort of worried that people will think that they're getting it wrong or that they're incompetent or their baby should be sleeping more. Because I think there's a lot of judgment around how much your baby is sleeping. 100%. Oh my goodness. So much. And like, and as you say, a bit of shame can be attached to it too. We we certainly, Sarah herself and also us, jointly as sleep mums do tend to meet people a lot around the five six month mark um but that's probably not spoken about that much but it is the point where you are breaking because you are so exhausted yeah Yeah. and I think there's also the shame around the idea of like actually I want to I want to sleep train my child and um that can obviously have a lot of different connotations around it and all the rest of it but I think there's something about sometimes actually people do need a bit more control if they don't have enough support to get sleep in other ways actually they need to sort of find ways that they can get more sleep in a way that's respectful to their babies that's respectful to them we like to talk about sleep a bit like a milestone which you can help your your baby towards um in the same way that you do tummy time that will help with crawling and things like that that you know that there are there are things that you can do that will help this is not about some sort of like super archaic ideology of sleep training that you know you are being a parent by helping them to sleep but also to help yourself because you know we you need sleep to be able to function as a parent and there shouldn't there shouldn't be shame attached to that to to saying that you need it which I think there is Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and I think that actually um sort of it's interesting because I work with quite a lot of people who I think are traumatized by the um the early months of um poor sleep basically and actually nights can be a time that they just start to dread because they're so scared of what their nights can and it can take a long time to get past that and to recover from that as well and that just shows how um how distressing and traumatizing sort of getting woken up repeatedly can be and and I think everybody has to do it in their own way for some people sort of um it is going to be sort of encouraging their child to get better sleep for other people it's going to be that they're going to need to work out routines with their partners or other people that can support them so they're getting chunks of sleep at other times everyone will have their way of doing it but actually what we really need to talk about is like are you getting enough sleep are you getting enough sleep and how are you doing that and um and how can you make sure that is happening because not getting enough sleep isn't actually an option totally i mean given that we're talking about emotions i'm super aware of you know how much more emotional I am when I have a lack of sleep you know it's um I'm an emotional person so I'm not I don't tend to be quick to anger and that can be for some people that's what it makes them ratty or makes it but for me it is is emotional but Mm -hmm. that impacts on my life as much as being ratty or you know and and um it's it can change everything as you say your experience you know that when I first met Sarah and I was really struggling with sleep that was why I, I felt so grateful to her because it changed my my experience of parenthood the, and that sounds kind of dramatic but it really did because it went mm-hmm. from being 
I, you know, I certainly wasn't dreading it, but I was, I was so exhausted that I was definitely not enjoying it. And so to be able to turn that corner through sleep was, was life changing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that, um, we really do ignore it at our peril. And I, and I, as I say, I sort of think that everybody has different ways that it works for them and all the rest of it. But I really do think that we can't, um, we can't underestimate sleep in any way, shape or form. And, and it is just so sort of glossed over for a lot of parents and it's interesting though because like obviously when you're a new parent all you talk about is sleep but then sort of like when you've got through it it's like we all have this sort of collective sort of trauma where we all have to just pretend that it wasn't as awful as it actually was or maybe we all just forget about it I think we forget a wee bit because you know when when you're in the trenches it does feel worse but then you're like you you, well that's why people go on to have future children you know you look you look back on it with rose-tinted glasses yeah definitely definitely Definitely. But I do know that there are some people that sort of that is one of their big things that scares them most about having children or puts them off most is how am I going to cope without sleep? And I think that's a very, very sane thought. Yeah, totally. I think for a long time, the huge range of complex emotions you can feel when you become a parent have sort of culturally belonged to mums like that doesn't mean that there has been help available for those mums but even a few years ago I think if you'd spoken about a dad's emotions or dad's mental health post-birth you might have been laughed at like dads can't get PND they've not given birth kind of chat but obviously dads and parents emotional needs matter and I would say they're just as important a part of the puzzle or the jigsaw, if you like, in terms of emotions. Mm -hmm. So so how can we support partners and dads and and what help is available? Um, I think that, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Sort of partners are really, really crucial. And I'm aware that not everybody does have a partner. And so sort of, yeah, I I definitely feel a sort of um, I'm, I'm. Yeah, I I definitely sort of feel like I want to tread carefully because I'm aware that it can be a very sensitive subject. But I I do think that um, dads and partners often do feel really left out. And um, I think that services don't tend to cater for partners. I think um, people and services are struggling to catch up also with sort of same-sex partnerships as well massively. Um, And that, that is a really big issue um and the language used around that can be very very sort of excluding um but I think yeah dads are so left out people again don't expect a lot from dads they don't give dads a lot of information culturally we don't believe that dads can do the same things that mums do um our society is not set up to support dads. You look at sort of childcare arrangements and I know that sort of things are changing in terms of sort of paternity leaves and all the rest of it. Snail's pace really. And, and just culturally and until sort of more dads at the top of companies or more partners at the top of companies are actually making use of that. It's just going to, well, in my opinion, it's, it's, um, it's not going to start filtering through until people at the top are doing that. Because I think at the moment, sort of, um, 
my my again this is my way of saying it but the um business is very sort of patriarchal and very non-family friendly and does depend on one person sort of going out and and not looking after the child and until childcare and until expectations start shifting there i think that dads again are going to be sidelined there's, um, there's some research as well isn't there that um sort of suggests that dads are more likely to suffer from some of the more extreme versions of of, of negative emotions the less involved they are in that absolutely. process absolutely definitely and i think that again dads are sort of experiencing a massive identity shift when they become parents like they're they're becoming fathers and what does that mean sort of to them they might have is there is there patrescence or i don't know that i know that that was like, like a weird sort of term that was coined for for mums but i guess it's that there is the same thing absolutely you're you're sort of going through this whole identity shift you suddenly again dad's relationships change and again sort of their identity I mean they're suddenly a dad and like there's lots of ideas about dads isn't there about sort of they're meant to be financially responsible maybe Mm -hmm. or they're meant to be the disciplinarians whatever that idea of of dads means in your life that's going to come in whether that's positive or negative and for a lot of men actually the idea of their dad is maybe quite negative as well yeah we can't help but bring some of these sort of these stereotypes from our own childhoods and and how we were parented and it's so it's it's hard to break that it is it's not impossible but it's hard to break that cycle because we have a picture of what being a mum or being a dad is because of how we grew up often and also now as well I think there is so much more about dads coming into the news I mean sort of I mean you think about sort of like the number of dads that sort of now publicly sort of go on social media with their babies and all the rest of it so again I think a bit like mums, there's also a lot of pressure on dads to be the perfect dad. And, yeah. And and again, if you've not been shown how to sort of do that, and I think again, we keep on sort of forgetting that in all of that, we're going to be the same people. So just as if you're a mum who doesn't really enjoy hanging out with babies, you might be a dad who doesn't really enjoy yeah. hanging out with babies, or you might find that sort of actually certain aspects of playing with kids doesn't really suit you or or whatever and you're like how do I do this how do I how do I become this other person and it it can take a bit of time to find out who you are as a dad and and it might be that actually you're really really great at sort of all the sort of songs and games part of it or it might be that you're really good at the food part of it if sort of later on with weaning and stuff like that sort of so I think it really is about sort of playing to your strengths and learning about who you are as a parent, not necessarily who you think you should be as a parent. I think that probably goes right right across the board, I guess, as well. And given that obviously we were talking about, you know, mums, dads, same-sex relationships or any caregivers, like we, we do talk about caregivers a lot because mm-hmm. there's a whole range of folk who obviously look after little people. Yeah. But that, you know, um, sort of to be forgiving of yourself to be who you are as as a parent if you like you know if you really like heavy metal like yeah. you can introduce your kid to heavy metal if that makes you happy you know like that, like when I when Indy was we you know I suddenly started putting on like classical music because I thought like you know I'd read all of these things about like baby Einstein or whatever that 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 was going to help I don't think it calmed me down 
at all, you know, (laughs) (laughs) because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it didn't feel natural. And I think as we kind of hold up these ideologies of, of parenthood, it doesn't matter if you're a a mum or a dad or a different kind of caregiver that, Mm -hmm. as you say, we should be a particular way. Mm -hmm. And, and the more we step away from ourselves, the harder that journey is because, because it feels even more on, it's already feeling unnatural. And then it feels even more unnatural because you're like, well, who the hell am I? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I was thinking, I mean, I really struggled with the idea that I had to play with Nathan. I really, really didn't know what to do with the whole play thing. But actually, um, and this is really corny, I really, really like making up really bad limericks and really, yeah. really bad rhyming songs. And so I just sort of started making up all these silly songs. And that actually really, really helped me because like they could actually be songs where I was being quite rude about my situation, but it made me laugh and it just helped me through. And I knew that I was saying all these sort of really horrible things, but actually I was singing them in a lovely sing-song voice. (laughs) Nathan didn't know and he didn't really care. I was just singing to him and it sort of, yeah, that sort of helped me through various sort of tricky bits at times. And I just think finding, finding a way that sort of helps you find the joy in it is going to be so unique and personal to you and, and, and all these sort of different parenting ideologies and fads and, and, thoughts sort of yeah yeah actually none of these things really matter it's about sort of finding your way finding your groove finding your relationship with your with your baby and that can just take a bit of time as you said before it's not going to happen immediately for most people yeah so be forgiving of yourself of that time and be forgiving of yourself of being who you are yeah absolutely So we've been talking about some pretty big things today and personally I felt I wasn't the right kind of person to be anxious or depressed and I felt so much guilt about feeling bad as well. Like I was super happy obviously to have my kids but that doesn't mean that it wasn't a struggle and nor should you feel like that either. Yes we love our children but parents matter too. In fact looking after ourselves is one of the most important things we can do for our kids. Mm There are massively varying degrees of postnatal emotions and feelings, and there is no one right thing. For some people, those harder feelings that we've spoken about don't actually always happen in the first few weeks and kind of don't fall under that horrible term, baby blues. Um, And obviously those post-parenthood emotions can also affect fathers and partners too. In fact, there are many points in the first year and beyond, even up to three years after birth, where you may feel a hormonal imbalance that ends up in complex emotions and feelings of inadequacy, anxiety and depression. Like Sarah mentioned, obviously, there are loads of routes to to help. And if you can, if you feel able to, please go and look for it. We don't want to put pressure on you, but if you feel you need it, it is out there. Thank you so much to Sarah Wheatley. You can check out her Parent Kind courses online at birthandbeyond.com and she's also on social media, so go and say hi. You can find us on there as well. We're at The Sleep Mums. We can't directly help with all the big feelings that we've spoken about, even though we obviously wish we could. However, what we can tell you is there is no rule book that says you need to feel like this or be like that to be a good parent. It's taken me a while, but I now firmly believe this to be true. You don't need to parent right because you are the right parent for your child. Look after yourselves and sleep soon.
that was fantastic thank you we loved it yeah and and likewise take care have a good day thanks Sarah okay Bye. Bye. bye